Thank you for tuning in to We're Excited, a podcast about poems. I'm Kevin Cotrere, calling in from Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm joined by Luke Bauerlein in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Hey, Luke, how you doing? Good. How's it going, Kevin? Not too bad. Um, and we're also joined by our good friend Luke Stromberg from Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. How you doing, Luke? Good. Good. Nice to be here. All right, great. Yeah, so I thought we'd, uh, you know, just kind of talk a little bit about... Um, uh, you know, have you guys been listening to any new uh, music or old music that, uh, that you're really excited about? You want to just kind of give a little shout out or something today? Yeah, yeah, I can uh, I can dive into that. I mean, this is this is super super dorky, but uh, <laughs> I uh, I marched uh, from from the time when I was sort of like a, a high school age student until uh, early age in, in college, like 17 to 21, in uh, an activity called Drum and Bugle Corps, and it's okay. basically like marching band uh for like advanced kids that pay to be in it and then you travel around the country by bus doing your show and competing against groups like yourself and now that i'm i'm done with that um every summer i kind of get swept back up in it as uh as the new season kicks off and things like that and uh this season um is featuring the music of uh of charles mingus and uh, a little bit Very of cool. uh, and and billy holiday actually nice. plays a big part into the theme overall of the show which is called Session 44. And so I've just been kind of um, kind of in, on like a jazz kick because of that, I think. And uh, I was just listening to Black Saint and the Sinner later oh, cool. the other day, mm. which is just a classic Mingus album from uh, the early 60s. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, to me it's sort of like walks this fine line between how far uh, composed music can get and still kind of sound right on the edge of formlessness. But it's, it's pretty brilliant and uh, worth a listen if, uh, if that's up your alley. Yeah, oh, yeah that was cool. a great album. Uh, I was gonna say, like the only Mingus album I'm really familiar with, I think is the Clown. I, uh, oh, that one's that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I got into that when I, but I my jazz days are long behind me. Uh, but you know, maybe new <laughs> jazz days are to come. Uh, oh man, you should definitely yeah. check out. Um, that's like um, maybe like a year or two after that. That's oh, cool. a great introduction if you if you're interested. Anyway, Sweet. yeah, that's kind of been on my headphones recently. Cool. And uh, hey, Stromberg, I'm sorry I interrupted you earlier. Uh, oh, what are you into? Fine. Um. You know, I've been listening to a lot of stuff, mainly older stuff, you know. Um, I was just talking about with my brother, once you reach a certain age, it's easy to, like, just not keep up with new music and just, like, go back <laughs> and listen Don't to all the stuff. But um, uh, a new album that's out that I I've really been into lately uh, is by an artist that I've been listening to for a long time, John Prine. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. And oh, his nice. new yeah, album, yeah. The Tree of Forgiveness, I've been into that lately. Uh, John Prine, he's one of my favorite songwriters. He's a great lyricist. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, one might even call him a poet, I guess. But, yeah, the new album is just really great. I, I enjoy it a lot. Yeah, that's they, that's another one I need to, I really need to check out. Uh, my nephew, who is into a lot of uh, uh, newer music, um, he actually he got me into John Prine. Oh, cool. uh, a little bit, yeah, and um, I know he's he's crazy about that new album too, and uh, I've been listening to it's this is really new for me. Uh, it's a band called Bad Bad Hats, and uh, there's a, a few years ago um, a poet uh, G M Palmer is it I think yeah Michael Palmer yes, yeah, yeah G M yeah. Palmer yeah <laughs> I uh, was blanking on his name for a second uh, he he recommended them to me. Um, I think this was like back in 2016, and uh, they have this album called Psychic Reader. I think that's like their, it's not their latest album, but it's the one, um, you know, that would have been released around 2015, 2016, maybe. 
and man, it is so addictive. It's, you know, it's, it's indie rock. Um, it's very catchy. Uh, you know, the lyrics are pretty fun. Um, you know, I would say that, um, uh, I, I, of course I, I have no compass with contemporary, uh, music, um, or, you know, I really don't know who, who to really compare them to, but, um, just, just a lot of a very youthful sound and, uh, it goes from like, you know, like sort of like a garage type sound to, uh, you know, quiet acoustic uh, pieces and, uh, it's a lot of fun. So definitely recommend bad, bad hats. Bad, bad hats. Okay. Yeah, I'll check them out. Yeah. That sounds yeah, yeah. For sure. so, Well, um, so the poem we're going to talk about, uh, today isn't, um, I don't, well, it's funny. It, it'll be interesting to, to kind of think about what kind of music do we hear when we, when we read it, what, what kind of feel do we get? Um, because I was going to say, you know, that bad, bad hats, they have like sort of like a fun, you know, poppy sound to them, uh, and, and kind of contrast that with the subject matter of this poem, but there's a lot of playfulness in this poem too, that I think we can, that we can really explore. Um, so, so the poem is by Mary Jo Salter and it's called welcome to Hiroshima and, uh, Mr. Bauerlein, uh, you want to give it a read? Sure thing. Thanks guys. Welcome to Hiroshima is what you first see stepping off the train, a billboard brought to you in living English by Toshiba Electric, while a channel silent in the TV of the brain projects those flickering reruns of a cloud that brims its risen column full like beer and spilling over hangs its foamy head. You feel a thirst for history. What year it started to be safe to breathe the air and when to drink the blood and scum afloat on the Oda River. But no, the water's clear. They pour it for your morning cup of tea in one of the countless sunny coffee shops whose plastic dioramas advertise mutations of cuisine behind the glass. A pancake sandwich. A pizza someone tops with a maraschino cherry. Passing by the Peace Park's floral hypocenter, where, how bravely, or with what mistaken cheer, humanity erased its own erasure. You enter the Memorial Museum, and through more glass are served as on a dish of blistered grass, three mannequins. Like gloves on other clips to coat sleeves, strings of flesh hang from their fingertips, or as if tied to her call to duty for us. Reverence the dead, whose mourners too shall soon be dead. But all commemorations swallowed up in questions of bad taste. How recreated horror mocks the grim original, and thinking at last they should have left it all, you stop. This is the wristwatch of a child, jammed on the moment's impact, resolute to communicate some message, although mute, the gestures with its hands at 8.15 and 8.15 and 8.15 again, while tables of statistics on the wall update the news by calling on a roll of tape. Death gummed on death, and in the case adjacent, an exhibit under glass is glass itself. A shard the bomb slammed in a woman's arm at 8.15, but some three decades on, as if to make it plain, Hope's only renewable is pain, and as if all the unsung debasements from the past may one day come rising to the surface once again, worked its filthy way out like a tongue. That was an excellent wow. reading. Yeah, yeah. thank yeah. you. Well, and I, I just uh, want to say, like, I, uh, I, I found a. It, it's it's going to sound very strange to to associate the word playfulness. I think with, especially with the subject matter of this poem. Uh, because I, the last few times I read it, though, I was absorbed in looking at the rhyme scheme, which I'm sure we'll get into in a moment. 
And, you know, sometimes when you look at the, the, the way the form works in a poem like this, you, you kind of, you get caught up on that level of it. But so, so that's one of my first impressions. What, um, what do you guys think? Um, yeah, I mean, I admire this poem, like you said, on one level, just on the exquisite craft of the poem. You know, Mary Jo uh, Salter, she's uh, often associated with new formalism, uh, you know, which is something that, you know, the three of us, at least Bowerline and I, are, are uh, familiar with uh, through our association with the Westchester Poetry Conference. And, you know, we, we're friendly with some of the other principal figures in new formalism. So, and this poem is is uh you know is is a metrical poem and you know uh it was i think originally uh published in her uh, her book henry purcell in japan mm -hmm. uh so you know as a as a poet associated with the new formalist um i, I think she's you know like a lot of people somewhat uh reluctant to be associated with the movement right uh the, there's that craft element of course that that's noteworthy about this poem one thing that struck me about it, I mean, you mentioned the rhyme scheme, but like the intricacy of like the sentences in this poem oh, and yeah. the way mm -hmm. that the, and the way the sentences not only are enjammed across several lines, but spill over into different stanzas, and, mm -hmm. you know, and they're just really complex sentences and yeah. You know her her mastery of that is, I, I, like on an aesthetic level, just impresses me. Absolutely, yeah. There's a yeah. It's it's sinuous, right? I'm sorry, Bowerly. Yeah. No, I was just going to ask you. Could you give uh, like Stromer? Could you give an example of um, of a line that kind of stretches out that that um, illustrates what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. So I would say, and and we could get to this. Um, sure. Sure. As we as we talk about the poem, but I think that there's a definite turn, or like the, at the end of the eighth stanza there. So uh, the last four stanzas, like the the end of the eighth stanza, it, there's just one, you know, there, it it ends on like a, a short sentence. This is the wristwatch of a child, right? Mm -hmm. And then those next four stanzas, just as one example of what I'm talking about are all one, one long sentence, sentence. Mm -hmm. yeah and it and it's just you know there's part way through um you know starting in that penultimate stanza there's an aside so like the the syntax of the sentence is very complex and it's just like i, I don't know the control that you know it takes to to be clear and, and to communicate using these long, complex sentences um, is something that impresses me. And I, I think it contributes to the voice mm -hmm. in some way, too. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, the, the, you know, the, the sentences are, are long uh, throughout. It, it opens with a, uh, <laughs> with a long sentence. Uh, you know, the first, even the, the title spills into the first stanza. Welcome yep. to uh, Hiroshima is what you first see, right? Right. Um, so it begins, you know, like the title is a part of the first stanza. But that, uh, you know, well, not not quite, but 
you know, that there's a long sentence in the beginning and then, you know, the end of the first stanza, that sentence uh, spills over the second stanza into the third stanza. So there are a lot of these long lines that are sort of, uh, long sentences rather, that are in jams across multiple lines and across stanzas. Yeah, and you know, Luke, just um, what you said there just, just makes me think too that... Um maybe some of that uh, drawing us forward, right, between stanzas and those connections between stanzas. And as you pointed out, the way the title uh, leads right into the first line is just sort of adding this sense of urgency uh, to the poem that, that maybe works and, and kind of um, almost feels like we're compelled through it, too, as a reader. I mean, it's her, it's her impression she's taking us through, but um, it does feel like, I mean, you wouldn't know uh, just looking at the title that um, it's specifically somebody reading the sign you know what I mean? No, As they're stepping yeah, on the yeah. train, and yeah. then boom, you're right in it. Um, and I, I think that's just an interesting technique uh, that, that's working well for it. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, really, welcome to Hiroshima. It, I mean, it should be in quotes, right? Because it's, mm -hmm. a, it's, it's a sign that she's reading. But it, it's, I, I think it's functioning in two different ways. Because this poem really is about Hiroshima. Or Hiroshima, I think, like however we uh, choose to pronounce right. that. Yeah. Place. But um, you know, it's she's both reading the sign, and it's like you know, it is like here's a, a look at Hiroshima in this period of time in, in X number of years after the bomb. Yeah. Um, and Salter, as, as from what I've read, uh, she did live in Japan for. Uh, a few years. I think she oh, lived okay. there for three years. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, there's so much... It, I mean, it's a poem that's very thick with irony. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, and different types of irony. I mean, and just the, you know, bringing in... You know, so this... Um, so the collection, Henry Purcell in Japan, was published in 1985. So we imagine this poem was written sometime you know, late 70s, early 80s, maybe. Is when she probably when she started drafting this. I, I, I'm guessing. I don't know, um, but uh, you know. So I'm thinking of 1980s Japan, and you know, there's the Toshiba Electric. Uh, there's the, you know, there's the, the the countless sunny coffee shops. There are mutations of cuisine behind the glass. A pancake sandwich, a pizza someone tops with a cherry. You know, the, the idea of, like, the, the cuisine is mutated, you know, and, and how that plays into the action, you know, obviously that's a hyperbole. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah, I think a very loaded word in this yeah, context. Exactly. I mean, she's not talking about, you know, uh, mutations as a result of an exposure to a radiation, but it, right. we can't help but think of that when of we're course. talking about, yeah. Yeah, and, and she's also, it's, it seems like in that one word, in that, in that image, She's kind of talking about a mutation of the culture and of society yeah, because absolutely. you know it's yep. Western food that that she's pointing out here. You know the pancakes, mm. pancakes and pizzas. You know that's uh, that's definitely not traditional uh, Japanese fare. Um, so there's, I mean, there's just so much going on in in that one image. I think. Yeah, and and yet <laughs> as she's talking about this. You know, the, the, this like kind of Western food and everything, but it's like filtered through the Japanese sensibility, and it's like their impersonation of yeah. Western food, right? Yeah, yeah. Like a pancake sandwich. That's weird. Like no, you know, 
people put all kinds of stuff on on uh, on pizza, you yeah. know. But I don't know. I, I've never heard of someone put a cherry on top of pizza, yeah. right? You know. So it's um, it feels wrong. Mm-hmm. It calls attention to the fact that this food here is out of place. Right, and who and who is that? Who is this food designed for? Who is this? Um, I think it calls into oh, question yeah. who the exhibit is for, right? Yeah. Who is like, right. you know, why is it geared? Why does it uh, say to you in living English, right, as you step mm-hmm. off the train? Right, you know, why yeah. is that the assumption? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the 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 but, fact that you know we have signs in English is is another sort of lingering effect of the war here, you know, because the occupation that followed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And there's like this extended. I just see her uh, echoing that. I mean, I think it's maybe like reductive to call it an extended metaphor, right? But she's just the, the language and the the choices that she's making are reinforcing that that sort of cultural exchange, if we if we want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, what strikes me as interesting too, just um, revisiting it, you know, um, a little bit older now. Like, there, of course, there are all these sort of um, syntactical and, and formally brilliant things that are going on. But when I when I first read it, this was put in front of me in like a, a freshman like literature course, like a sample course oh, wow. um, that had to do with um, a little bit with the Vietnam War. And we had read the things they carried and, and a couple other um, war narratives. And this was part of that section. Um, and, it, and it really just it really struck home, I guess. Um, e- even the I, well, sorry, I guess what I'll say is that she navigates uh, very carefully this space of sort of feeling disgusted by and a little skeptical of um, essentially the the act of remembrance and yet still comes through to this place well like you know maybe even if the speaker does believe that it's sort of a compromised remembrance so she even says at some point um, you know they should have just left it all that Mm -hmm. would have been a better way to to honor this space there's it's she uh, I think it it illustrates ultimately why it's so important to have spaces like this you know, maybe not in any form, but how how it uh, how it is working, yeah. and um, I think it's I just think it's interesting that it seems geared toward the, it seems important that um, Americans would come and visit this place. Like it's oh, almost towards yeah. uh, that. That's part of this conversation, this this exchange that happened. Part of the remembrance is that it needs to reach out to yeah. Americans that would be visiting in peacetime. I think you you know, and it does seem like uh, I I spoke of like a turn that happens in the yeah, film yeah. earlier, and it does seem like it starts off with this skepticism or even kind of uh, uncomfortable. I don't know. There's like a discomfort. Yeah, discomfort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a a, a kind of a satirical way that mm-hmm. she describes mm-hmm. it. Yeah, scene in the beginning. Well, right. Even, we, even the title, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah no, sorry, right. E- even the, even the title, right? Um, it's it's a billboard, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I think a lot of the language in the early part of the poem calls to mind, um, for lack of a better term, kind of like TV language or yeah, uh, mm-hmm. the language of mass media. Yeah, right? absolutely. You could almost hear it as like a a, a TV commercial, right? Mm-hmm. Uh. Welcome to Hiroshima, right? Right, right, right. right. Brought to you, and, uh, you know, yeah. for me, as, as someone who grew up steeped in, you know, watching TV. television yeah, and stuff, here. I think instantly of a commercial or, right. like, 
you know, tonight's episode of, uh, you know, such and such was brought to you by Toshiba Electric, right? Exactly. So yeah. here's Hiroshima brought to you in living English. You know, it makes me think of like in Technicolor yeah. or something like that, yeah. you know, um, by Toshiba Electric. So there's like a corporate sponsor. Yeah. And even the way that she talks about our memory uh, or the memory, the memory of the, mm. the bombing, it's a TV channel, right? Mm -hmm. While a channel silent in the TV of the brain. So like the brain is like a television, right? Yeah. Projects those flickering reruns yeah. of a cloud yeah. that brims its riven, risen column full like a beer, like beer and spilling over hangs its foamy head. Right, so right, like, like, what do we like? You, what do we know of uh, of this event? Right. You know what yeah, I mean? Right? We've just seen that. We've just seen these images. That's it. Exactly. That's how we can connect with. Yeah. And and we've gotten it through like mass media. So it's almost like she's talking about. For me, it's like she's saying that the pop culture ubiquity of the bombing of your Hiroshima mm, mm. has deadened our ability to appreciate right, right. it. As yeah. Real human. Then, right. Right. No, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even the 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 mushroom cloud, the you know, the explosion, it, you know, is described as like a beer. It's like again, <laughs> like something that you would see an image of this beer foaming over that you would see on a commercial, right? On on television, uh, and then from thinking of these images, we feel a thirst for history, right? Mm -hmm. um, like the like a commercial that's trying to make you thirsty for beer, right? Um, it's almost like history is a product. And that gets into kind of the way that she talks about this memorial museum, I yeah. think. I mean, she talks about, you know, the kind of, as, as Kevin mentioned, the, um, the mutations of cuisine, you know, these odd takes on Western food that she sees at the, uh, the sunny coffee shops, right? Um, you know, and, and she talks about those displays of food as being plastic dioramas, right? Now, that kind of foreshadows the image that we get just a couple stanzas later of, you know, the dioramas at the museum, mm -hmm. which is something much more grisly. But again, we're, you know, she's, it's like she's comparing both of these things, right? Yeah. That they, they, they chime with each other. Well, yeah, because the mannequins, you know, she uses the word horror. Strings of flesh hang from their fingertips. All, all commemorations swallowed up in questions of bad taste. How recreated horror mocks the grim original. And I, I yeah. can't, and immediately I get a, an idea of Hollywood schlock. The, the movies that I grew up and watched for entertainment, you know, depicting scenes of horrific violence. So I'm getting where, what she's saying here. You know, she's starting to make this judgment. And then, you know, this leads her to start thinking they should have left it all. But then she stops. Yeah. And then she comes upon the wristwatch of the child. And I think that's the turn that you're talking that's about. That's the turn. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. that's the turn. Yeah. So how because would you? Yeah, how would you describe the uh, what happens after that? Like what what changes in the poem after that line? At that point, you know, the, she starts off being skeptical because what she's talking about are recreations of what happened, right? Mm. Um, they're mockeries of the original, right? The like. The, again, the, this kind of image of the, the people, like the image of the people with their skin hanging off of their fingers and things like that, 
uh, is described in a way that calls to mind the earlier image of these sort of absurd, you know, takes on Western food, right? Like we look at um, a pancake sandwich and we're like, well, that's not quite a pancake. That's that's weird. I don't. They they must think that's a pancake, but that's not what we know of as a pancake. It's almost like she's saying, look, this image here in trying to honor what happened becomes like this uncomfortable mockery of what happened, right? It's right. just not quite accurate. But the difference between that, these sort of dioramas and the the wristwatch of the child, the wristwatch of the child is something actual, right? It's not a recreation. It's mm. it's a it's a relic, right? So Despite herself, I think she comes to the muse museum being very skeptical of the whole thing. And then when she encounters these, the, the, you know, the wristwatch, and then later, the piece of glass, right? The shard, the bomb slammed in the woman's arm. She's suddenly struck by the reality of what happened, right? Because yeah. these are real things. These aren't kitschy recreations. Right. Right. And I think right, right, what right. you were saying, Kevin, was really smart. Like, again, so much that I, I said the pop culture ubiquity of the bombing. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially in the 50s, you know, in early 60s, there were so many B movies and everything that yeah. were inspired by it. Like, how could this event not lose its meaning when it's just, you know, it's yeah. just fodder for science fiction, you know? Yeah. Or even like, um, I was thinking like Indiana Jones would have come out a few years before that. And you know what I mean? And they open the Ark of the Covenant and like faces are melting. Yeah. It's set around that time, you know, it's mm -hmm. just, that's it's like, like in, the, in, the, in the 80s. Right? Yeah, in the 80s, in the 80s. Right. That would yeah, have been yeah. a few years yeah. before the book came out. But anyway, right. keep it there. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think it's, it's been, I mean, to this day, um, it, it's treated um, in a, like in the, in the, in the mainstream culture, it's it's treated with uh, irreverence, you know, in a way, um, you know, for all the reasons you've listed, um, you know, and that word, you know, the word reverence actually comes up in this poem. Yeah, there, the the word reverence comes up in the poem, um, but there's also this idea of duty, right? Mm -hmm. um, where she she writes um, again. You know, right in that kind of stanza where she's talking about reverence, right? She's talking about these, this diorama of the um, of the people, you know, the, the affected by the bomb. Yeah. Um, you enter the memorial museum, and through more glass are served as on a dish. Again, that's calling to mind that earlier image of the food. Uh, and through more glass are served as on a dish of blistered glass, three mannequins. Like gloves, a mother clips to coat sleeves, strings of flesh hang from the fingertips. Or as if tied to recall a duty for us. Mm -hmm. Reverence, the dead whose mourners too shall soon be dead. Right? Mm -hmm. But all commemoration swallowed up in questions of bad taste. Uh, so there's this idea that yeah we we have this duty right right uh we can't not commemorate this right we can't yeah. not keep its memory alive 
like we're, we have like an ethical obligation to do so, but how should we do so? Right. I think that's like a big theme in, in the poem. It's like the right. line between commemoration and bad tastes. Or, and or, ex or yeah, exploitation even. Yeah, or exploitation. Yeah. Right. Are they? Are we making money? Have we turned this into like a, a money making peace park thing? You know. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why, as as she's sort of like stepping through the sort of commercial, you know, capital capital market on her way there. That's that's sort of how the skepticism gets in, and mm -hmm. that's like she feels like she's getting served. You know what I mean? When she steps into into the place, and yeah. uh, I don't know, Luke, like you pointed out, it's it's as she's coming into like into contact with. Um, you know the the artifacts that are from that time period that it, it kind of uh, becomes a little more real. And I was just going to point out the obvious thing too. I mean, we were talking about um, how everything is so enjammed, right? And 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 right at this moment that we're talking about is the turn. Um, that's yeah. actually the only end stopped stanza. So not only yes. we slow down in that yeah. line and say you stop, period, and finish the line with this is the wristwatch of a child, period, yeah. and then we continue again uh, in the last four stanzas, pretty much interrupt in interrupted. Again, that's yeah. one long. Yeah, time. yeah. The, the 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 rhythm is kind of signaling something there. It's almost like she has to catch her breath when she sees this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, I mean, and yeah, it, it stops just as the watch was stopped. Yeah. Too, you know. Yeah. yeah. Like I think it it mimics that that impact. Yeah. There's a lot going on there that that really reinforces the um, the reality of it. You know, the repetition of eight fifteen, eight fifteen, and eight fifteen again. You know, is another. Uh, it, it's brilliant because. It's funny because it uh, through that repetition, it actually underscores the fact that there was no motion when when the watch stopped. It, it stopped, and yet you know there, there's a kind of irony there. There's you know it, by repeating that, it it just sort of drives home the fact that there was no movement, even though verbally you're moving to depict that. I don't know if I'm making any sense here, but. No, no, I um, think that's, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, no, I think that's spot on. Like, each 815 could take a second to read almost. You're reminded that it's not moving again. But then there's this whole idea, too. I mean, it ends, the, so there's the, the stopped wristwatch, mm -hmm. but the relic that it really ends on yeah. is something even stranger and more oh, disturbing, yeah. right? Um, an exhibit under glass is glass itself. A shard the bomb slammed in a woman's arm at 8.15, but some three decades on, as if to make pl it plain, hopes only as renewable as pain, and as if all the unsung debasements of the past may one day come rising to the surface once again, worked its filthy way out like a tongue. So, I mean, and... One of the things I'm talking with the, um, the how complex the sentence is and how it, it jammed it was is you know I, I the first time I read that you know it's easy to, I had to go back and read it again mm -hmm. to, um, you know to kind of get like what exactly was that was being described there but the way I understand it it's a piece of glass that is on exhibit here. But was in a woman's arm for uh, for decades. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and then it, it it suddenly forced its way out. Like here's this thing, this memory of this event, right? 
you know, even years later, it's still a part of us. And here it comes out to reveal itself. Like, it's buried, but not quite buried, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. there to remind us again. I, I can't help but read that final image as, like, a commentary, again, of, of what came before. Where she's, she, she's kind of lamenting the way mm. the event has been cheapened. Mm -hmm. You know, by its by its re by recreations, by its exposure in pop culture, right? Um, at one point earlier on, she mentions, let's see, uh, it, where um, where where she's at the the hypo center, passing by the peace parks, floral floral hypo center, hypo center. I had to actually look that up, meaning like ground zero, basically, where you know where the the bomb approximately struck, oh. right? Passing by the, which is now a garden, apparently, yeah. right? A park, uh, the Peace Park, right? Passing by the Peace, Peace Park's Floral Hyper Center, where how bravely or with what mistaken cheer humanity erased its own erasure, right? Yeah. And there, I think, is the question at the heart. Yes. Or one question that's at the heart of the poem. Yeah, is it absolutely. a good thing that we've gotten over this? That it doesn't rest so heavily on us? That, it, right. that it's become almost like this abstract kind of thing? This, this thing that's become a tourist attraction? Is that a good thing? Are we brave for having moved on from this horrible travesty? Or is that like a mistake? Right. Is that a mockery? Mistake right? and cheer, it, yeah. Yeah, mistaken cheer. Yeah, um, humanity has kind of erased its own erasure. Here, this is a, an event that marked a real turning point in you know, not only the twentieth century but maybe you know history, where now mankind has had the ha, has the capability really to annihilate itself. Yeah, right. Um, and. Are, are we not treating that with the gravity it deserves? I mean, is it a good or a bad thing that we, that we could kind of, um, you know, um, erase this? But I, I, I think that, you know, and I'm, I'm getting a little, this becoming a little shaggy here. I think that final image is a way of saying, like, we may think we've erased it, but it's still there, okay. buried inside of us, right? This trauma, yeah. and mm -hmm. it's going to come out. Right, and yeah. it does. Right, so yes, despite our efforts to sort of deaden it, it or to distance it, exactly, kind of ironic thing. Yeah, so in other words, we really don't have a choice. I mean, like we may think that we've erased our erasure, but mm -hmm. in time, it's going to come back. It's going to come out. So it's kind of a, that's an interesting sort of answer to the question. It's a very grim answer, you know. But <laughs> yeah, well. But it, it kind of, um, to me, winds up reinforcing then ultimately the importance of the remembrance. Like, whether yeah, we get it yeah. right, like, we may, because part of the question to me is like, I mean, I think, and there could be some, some serious debate on this probably too, right? But like, one of the, part of that question uh, that Luke raised to me is sort of like, can we do much better than this when we, right? It, it, is mm -hmm. it part of our nature that when something this um, terrible happens, like, um, and that Wilbur poem we discussed last season, you know, when things rock at the mind yeah. um, in, in this way, may, maybe we can't 
you know, may, maybe these approximations are, in fact, in, in some sense, a, a horror or a disgrace. But but because um, because the uh, the trauma is real and because it comes out anyway, we might as well mark it. You know, mm-hmm. and that and that it actually for me ultimately reinforces why that's important. But um, and maybe also just important to ask these questions and get it right. You know, yeah. Or as as close to right as we could. I yeah, I don't know. But um, yeah. How about this? Uh, here's one part of the poem that um, I, I I don't know quite what to make of it. Again, towards the end, it's it's part of that aside. Um, when she's talking about that shard of glass. And, and she's like, it comes out of this woman's arm and it, it works its way out like a tongue. But she's saying, in doing that, it's, it does it as if to make it plain. Hope's only as renewable as pain. Hope's only as renewable as pain. I mean, what does she mean by that phrase? Yeah. What? Well, I- um, I, what, I kinda, what, oh, yeah, like, what is the hope she speaks of and what is its relation to pain? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sorry to cut you off, Alan. No, no, I, I just think it's sort of, that's kind of what I was trying to get at before, I guess, where, like, there's sort of this grim stance, it seems like, that she's taking, right, about um, our ability to even do justice to the remembrance. But um, I, I think what she, what she's articulating is, like, even even if we don't make it perfect, like, there's there's no other way forward Right. The only like the hope is in learning from your mistake, and you don't get to learn unless you are able to have remembrance and experience. Right, like wow. that. Articulate yeah. that trauma. Right, that you're saying yeah. like we we can't because it's going to come out. Like she's saying, I, she's thinking it's going to rise to the surface like a tongue anyway. But maybe um, it's th- this is why it's important. Right, like hope depends right. on learning depends on it that working pain. its way out like yeah. a tongue. Yeah, and that's and maybe that's why she says that- because remembrance is sort of a. We get it wrong, you know what I mean? There's a part that's just, that is sort of a disgrace about it and yet also important. But no, please, go ahead, yeah. So, in other words, in, in, in order for us to progress, mm-hmm. to to make a change that's going to prevent something like this from happening. Again, right, yeah. We have to remember that pain. So yeah, that like, a, like a kid exi- touching the frying pan. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> that hope only exists to the extent that that pain could be renewed. That it could that something right. could reach us yeah. beyond like the deadening that happens through you know that our the, the way that our culture just deadens everything for us right yeah, uh, yeah. through overexposure yeah. or whatever right if you know the hope of 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 change happens when something could cut through that yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah. that's yeah that's very that's 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 powerful yeah. You know, Kevin, you had kind mm-hmm. of talked about, um, and, and maybe this is just sort of a, a sort of before and after the turn kind of observation, but you kind of talked about some of the play with language and, and maybe uh, like some of the puns that are happening. Okay, yeah. Up. I'd be curious to kind of revisit and just hear what you were, you were thinking as you, um, as you were reading this one. Yeah, you know, and, and a lot of that happens, well, no, I mean, it, it happens throughout the poem, but, you know, it's it's definitely calls more attention to itself um, at the beginning. Um, the, the image of... Um, the column full of beer and you know likening that to the image of the mushroom cloud yeah it, that's like a metaphysical conceit you know that's something out of Absolutely. john dunn yeah yeah and um and, and it works because the you know because of all the references to television there the image i get is is something out of a beer commercial right um yeah i you know in the rhyme scheme 
of the poem I, I became fascinated by because it's it's so irregular. Yeah, um, I, I yeah. you know I I, I, yeah. I was trying to look at this and I knew that there were there were rhymes in the poem, but I couldn't really identify any you know uh, scheme. Right? What yeah. like as far as you could see, like yeah. like what were you seeing happening here? Well, like uh, I mean, the first one, you know, it's the first stanza, the first and the last line, you know. Right, that it's a perfect rhyme, and there's yeah. the the two in the middle don't. The in the second stanza, it, it reads kind of like a uh, a b a b rhyme, except for the the a rhyme cloud and head only really rhyme. Well, there it's consonants; it's not rhyme actually, but it, yeah. you know it's a right. type of of echoing, I guess you'd say. Um, you know, and then and then we go back to an A-X-A-X by my reading, you know, you have air and clear. Again, that's more of a, that's not a perfect rhyme. And then you have a float and T, you know, they don't rhyme. And then, uh, and then you have, um, you know, you have shops, advertise, glass, tops. So you have two perfect rhymes at the beginning and the end. And then in the middle, you have kind of a, you know, advertise and glass, Right, right. Not, right, not a right. great consonance, but you know you can make the argument that there's so uh, you know, and this this just sort of happens throughout the poem. Like I don't know if there's any grand scheme to it where you know she had a pattern for her lack of pattern. But I actually think that it kind of, I think that it says what it's what the rhyme scheme says formally about the content of the poem is that you know the exhibits what they're trying to do is put some kind of interpretation on what happened or some kind of or i mean they're trying to memorialize the event and and in some ways they're getting it wrong with with the dioramas but in other ways they're getting it right and just just like that in some cases there are perfect rhymes you know where it's you know quote unquote getting it right and in other times there's there's just a lack of rhyme where you would expect it to be yeah it's it's like an approximation yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, uh, of, you know, there, there is a form here, but it's just not quite right. There's something struggling against the form. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, when you know, just looking at it again, at, at that turn spot that we already identified, I, I see the last four stanzas as being actually like a little bit more regular, okay, or or, or closer. It, it seems it seems a little clearer that even when um, every two lines are not um, a couplet. A rhyming couple into themselves eventually within the stanza we get to its match yeah. so you get you know you get resolute and mute 15 again wall roll case glass and then you know in some plain pain sung come again tongue it's, it's yeah, it yeah, definitely yeah. and um and again and there's a more and there's more certainty um at that point too right with in the speaker in terms of what they're experiencing yeah. so that mirrors it and also just as we're talking about these mutations right the cultural mutations um the, the implication of, um, you know, nuclear mutation over time. I think that's, it's almost like, I think we're supposed to uh, imagine that there was sort of like a perfect version of this poem that yeah. existed. And then, you know, it kind of, it kind of morphed itself through the content almost. And, and, you know, that's, it, it's probably, I, I was actually, as Kevin yeah. was talking about that, I was actually wondering if, if that happened, like if originally this was like mm-hmm. a, a regularly rhyming yeah. poem. And it, through the process of revision, she just sort of ditched that. I mean, yeah. There's this, the vestiges of it. But that's just pure speculation. But yeah. it kind of, again, like, it, like 
both you and Kevin were saying it, it, it does kind of work with the subject matter and the themes in the mm-hmm. in the in the poem. Yeah, and I'm I'm not normally the kind of person who would just make a connection like that between uh, yeah. content and especially rhyme schemes. I think rhyme sure, schemes sure. are just purely you know well many times they're purely musical, but I think that it's it's very compelling to make a case for in this case for the the rhyme scheme itself to be mimetic yeah 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 Yeah, it seems like there's uh she's paying attention to so much um you know i mean that by the time we make that connection it feels like that might be accurate for sure yeah one thing i was tempted to a direction i was tempted to take this i resisted it but why not mention it here (laughs) yeah yeah uh even if if we do it to to toss this kind of reading aside, mm-hmm. I I almost wanted to read this as kind of like an Ars Poetica. And I think that's an obnoxious kind of thing that a lot right. of poets do because <laughs> we're just like that's what we're into. So every poem becomes is it, like, yeah <laughs> poetry itself, yeah. right? But you know, it, I I don't know is saying something about. You know, and it's it's hard for me to put my finger well, on it. Something I mean, about imagery, yeah, I mean, something that's yeah. that's pure and that's not fanciful. Uh, kind of speaks right more directly to us. Like in the beginning, we get these sort of like fanciful images of the explosion being like a uh, you know uh, like a glass of beer, beer, yeah, right. And as striking and in some ways accurate as that is. It just doesn't communicate right. as much as just a pure it, image. It's too playful. Of, yeah, it's too yeah. playful. It doesn't yeah. communicate as much as much as just it, some a wristwatch, yeah. you know, stopped at eight mm. fifteen. Exactly. Or child's wristwatch yeah. stopped at eight fifteen. Now that's pure. There's no kind of static there, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's more human. Um, She's kind of turned off by these these recreations, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's just not it's not pure. But when she gets to an image that is pure, well, that communicates much more clearly, you know. And I, I was tempted to read that as some kind of uh, statement about imagery and poems or so, something along those lines. No, I, I'm sure that 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 thought crossed my mind you know, on one of the readings that I gave the poem, that it was, you know, that she, and, I mean, she's, more generally speaking, she is um, explicitly commenting on taste. Uh, yeah. You know, what is good taste and, and bad taste? And, 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 and she's also, you know, she's, she's touching on where ethics and aesthetics um, coincide, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. So, no, I definitely think that that's... Um, uh, you know, while yeah, it is again, it is easy to to look at any poem as an ars poetica. Uh, you know, I, I think that there's an ars poetica here that you could read into it, but it's just a, a sort of you know more general you know look at aesthetics. Yeah. Well, that's it for this episode of Works Cited. Thanks so much for tuning in, and be sure to visit us at workscitedpodcast.com, uh, where you can read the text of the poem that we discussed tonight, as well as uh, check in on our past episodes. And uh, here to play us out, once again, is Philadelphia's own The Late Greats. <laughs>